Welcome to True House Stories. I am back in New York City after a long UK tour that was absolutely blinding and incredible in every way. And I'm going to tell you why. Um, it was my first time back in the UK after the COVID has been in motion. Even though it's in our rearview mirror, I must say, thank God we're all good and we're running. And it was great to see so many faces and so many wonderful gigs. But what I'm going to bring up right now is a true legend of this game. And it's not often I get many promoters that have the great stories to go with the legacy of a night called Back to Basics. This guy started in the 80s, made his name, and he's going to tell you all about it. He is in Wikipedia. He's a legendary guy. Okay, not many, like I said, not many promoters get that shining light of beacon, but this man does. And I'm going to bring him up. All the way from Leeds, I had the time of being at his club again this past weekend, which was absolutely amazing. Back to Basics founder, the man himself, Dave Beers from the UK. Hello there, guys. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. Dave, thank you, mate, for coming on. And thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's been absolutely amazing to see and, and get everybody to, to be able to appreciate and hear the stories of guys like yourself that never get a chance to be heard. You know what I'm saying? Well, I'm not too sure about that. <laughs> But you're not one of those who can be heard nice and loud all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm too much sometimes, I'm told. So, as Dave Beer is a man for the 11th hour, 23rd minute, 59th second to almost us going, he hits me up and says, hey, I got a crap load of stuff I need to give you. I'm like, okay. So we're going to try to get all this in. But here's the thing. Well, in my defense, like, I, I wasn't told until the last minute. <laughs> it's okay. On the defense of Karen and myself, we may have left that out. And but, been, but, we actually have some, yeah, but we have some good stuff. I got some clips okay. of him. So let's go and let's begin this journey. Um, everybody who has come on this show who has graced this before starts out the same way. And I know you have a fantastic story. So... Let's not waste no more time and let's get right into how does music find the young kid, Dave Beer? And then. Well, I think it probably came through um, my mum. Um, I was from a single, single family, single parent family in, um, in Pontefract, um, a little coal mining town in, uh, in West Yorkshire in the north of England. And um, yeah, it was a, it's quite a tough upbringing. Um, but um, I used to listen to my mum's like rock and roll records, and um, she she would be dancing downstairs and jiving, and be listening. So um, and then um, after that, it was kind of like punk rock happened in England, and I I wasn't so good at school, you know. I had um, as it's turned out, I have ADHD, 
but in those days it wasn't diagnosed. So, um, so I, I actually ran away from home when I was about 15 and I ran away with a band called The Clash. I, don't, I think you guys have heard of them. Um, and uh, so that was the beginning of my my musical um, adventures. And I uh, hit the road running and went on tour, rodeoing with bands. And um, and uh, travelled a lot in America, um, uh, which is like after the punk rock thing, I went through the indie thing. And uh, I always loved drum machines. So, uh, you know, bands like Kraftwerk and, um, uh, you know, like the German industrial sound and the, the kind of British Electronic Federation sounds that were going on at the time. And uh, which led into when we um, used to uh, unload the trucks in uh, after the gigs with the bands that I was with. I was with Run DMC, Public Enemy um, in America, um, We Papa Girl Rappers, people like that, but Petrol Emotion. So we travelled a lot of the usual North Coast tours that you do on the old buses there. And uh, but after we'd loaded up, we had we, there was nowhere to go. So the only places we could find were the, were these clubs that were open, and they were just like black gay clubs, which suited me fine. You know, we were we were in there. It was like a kid in a candy shop, and um, uh, yeah, we we fell across places like like the Paradise Garage, like the Loft, like like um, many clubs um, in Chicago in. Um, you know, like the, the warehouse, the metro, I remember, um, and Detroit. So the, in England at the same time, this was about 1987 at the end of it, um, after touring in America for about three years. Um, yeah, it was, uh, I'd got back to England and uh, the Hacienda had, uh, had started his an acid house night. And the explosion had gone off. I mean, really gone off. I mean, everyone in England, from policemen to nurses to doctors to to oboes to you know, everybody was raving. Everybody's popping these little pills and and dancing. And um, I remember the first time I was bringing over American DJs and uh, you know, people like um, Morales and Little Louis Vega. And, um, all, all of them, really, fans like a Vulcan. Um, uh, I mean, like we, I used to just come over and to America and hunt them down and so go to places like Save the Robots or the Sound Factory, and you know, and um, when Vasquez was playing at the time, but he would never get on an aeroplane. But, uh, but <laughs> yeah, yeah he, he was like, no way, I'm not flying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's too busy tweaking out. Yeah, so it's like, no man. You know, but um, I, I, in England at that time, DJs were playing for about one and a half hours. And this guy was playing for 18 hours, you know, it's like, and we were just like, whoa, you know, this is something else, you know what I mean? And we, we did the duration. One weekend we stayed in there from the Friday night over, and we just slept in there in the morning. We wouldn't leave and we stayed there till the Saturday and went through to Sunday. That was quite fun. And we used to go to the limelight a lot as well. It's like into the limelight a lot to um, hang out with the Disco 2000 kids, which um, that ended in a bit of tragedy. But, um, but you know, we were there right at the time. I remember Kiyoki telling me what had gone on 
with Michael and Angel, and it was like, whoa. Wait a minute, were you around that time when that whole criminal thing happened with yeah, uh, Michael yeah. Alec killing? Yeah, no, no, I, think maybe I remember you were in New York at that time because I was yeah. in the tunnel at that time. I remember. Yeah, yeah, we were hanging out with those guys, you know, <laughs> and we were doing parties with them, and it was like, we, I mean, it was just crazy. I mean, we could, I mean, luckily for me, I'd flown out to back to England, and I'd taken some of the, um, some of the, some of the tran- to, to TV, some of the transvestites, like you know, with the big platforms on onto the aeroplane. I, I was so out of it. I'd shaved all my hair off because uh, I had really long hair. And uh, Kiyoki said, you should go to Patricia Fields. You know, so I'm like, right, Patricia Fields, what's this? So I went down there and there was this this really like outrageous guy, girl, guy. And I said, I'm like, oh my God. And I said, I said, that Kiyoki said you could uh, tell me that to get rid of this, this. And she goes, you've come to the right place because we hate hair. And then she just shaved all my hair off. <laughs> and uh, and I went down to Greenwich Village and got some platforms put on my sneakers, so like not big ones, but you know, little, small, enough, you know, big enough to make myself a little bit taller. And then I just said to these guys, like, why don't you come back to England with me? So I paid for these two like uh, club kids to come back to uh, England for the weekend. Uh, with no luggage, no nothing, just like the, the same makeup on that they set off in from New York. And I just got, we came off the plane in Leeds and we were just bogging, you know, it's like, and people were like, what is going on? You know, it was brilliant. You know, you can imagine on a wet Wednesday, a wet Sunday morning, though, but, you know, when everybody's coming down a bit, you know, what the, what the guys felt like. We were trying to get them onto an aeroplane to get them back to New York. Yeah, but anyway, it was fantastic, fantastic, really. Dave, here's a question for you. You coming to New York, were you, what I would say, a, a, a kid that, I know you work with The Clash and you did all that stuff. Were you like what we would say, a kid that had money at that no. time? No, so you. No, 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 really. Well, I mean, but by the time like the club had blown up, when we were coming to the to, because I, I was like rodeoing with like say when I was with Run DMC and, and it was all around the like, do the right thing time, you know, like Spike Lee, so I just wanted to be down Bedford Stuyvesant, you know, I got myself in all sorts of trouble, man. You remember back in the, down there in nineteen eighty four, eighty five, and uh, I was the only white kid there with my Bart Simpson t shirt and my skateboard, <laughs> and like you know, I'm going, I ain't got no people you guys and they're going you are the big got a fucking problem man you know i'm like oh, oh they would tell me so they would tell me because first of all they probably heard the accent said what's up yeah. with the they're not this is not a new york kid so that's yeah. something start like that and so like they couldn't understand me really i mean <laughs> when i'm in america nobody really understands me it's only recently that i realized that i mean you're bilingual so you know you're- yeah right i'm bilingual i understand everybody in england i can yeah, yeah. what accent it's yeah. crazy but um, you know, and some people do, and some people don't. But like, uh, and I'm like, what did, that, what did that guy say? But it's great when you walk into it, walk up to a club to the rope with a big hat on, and you just take the clipboard off the door, man, and you climb over the rope and start saying, "No, nah, he's okay, he's okay, he's okay," and waving everybody in. It's not even your party, you know. And then <laughs> just like, you know, and they go, and then you go, right, where's my table? And they go, what did he say? Who's that guy? You know, like, you know, it's like fantastic. So we just get away with murder, really. Okay. Uh, so not you, like Michael Alex, sorry. 
No, no, I know. In a, in a statement, basically, because you're yeah, yeah. you're a party guy. You've always been. Yeah, I mean, we used to love it. The reception we got in America was amazing. I mean, I mean, and the most Americans at that time were getting um, a lot of the DJs and the club kids were getting just reading mix mag, so we were in there all the time. So we were like celebrities when we when we got there, you know, like in the early nineties, and we were like just set like kings. We picked up in limos, like zooming around, you know, VIP access everywhere we went. I mean, straight to the front of the queue, really looked after. I mean, it was, we couldn't have been better, you know. I, it was, I had the time of my life, it was like, uh, which was different from when I was there with the, all the hip-hop thing and the, the indie and the guys, because it was like, we were just like loading trucks and just like, still having a great time, don't get me wrong, you know, but, but you know, we really lived it up when we came over. We had so much money. We had more money than sense, we say. You know, so we, big deals to everybody because everybody was asking the same question those days. Yeah, it's floating around and champagne yeah. floating around and a lot of good stuff. A lot oh, of man. feel good was floating around. Very yeah. nice. I remember that with him. Yeah, so, yeah, hey. a lot of that. You know, and um, and the notes were like the fingers, like your notes, and all the same size. So we were just giving people like hundred dollar <laughs> bills, is like thinking they were one dollar bills. You know, wait, wait. wait. Let me just reverse back a little bit. So from the time when you became, when you were roading, so you yeah. quit, you quit school, correct? Yeah. Okay. So you went with the class, you, you went around the world and did all that with them. When and how does back to basics begin? What's the premise? In other words, the blueprint to well, create I mean, this night. I mean, I was so lucky to be in America at the time when you know all these clubs were you were you were all playing house music when it was like you know it just first started you know marshall jefferson just was doing like uh you know move your body was it move your body or just made that move i can't remember and todd terry was he, he made them just made that move on black right on west um west end records and around that time that's like so 86 87 yeah so so i was right right there at the right time forrest gump as they called himself you know like uh just like waltzing into didn't even realize we were in the paradise garage at one point and it was like you know it was just like what what's that all about you know it, it was on a can't remember what night it was you know we just went there and uh and it was only later on i saw it on a, on on a video and i said oh i've been there and then it was like paradise garage i didn't we didn't we used to go to save the robots as well down in uh, alphabet city um which only sold one drink if i remember just that vodka that's where i discovered doc martin there and um i wrote um i said to him i said what's your name he said doc martin what's yours and i said dave beer he said i don't believe you i said i don't believe you either you know <laughs> so, so i got an hundred dollar bill which was my trademark at the time and i wrote uh, a marker pen and i wrote my number on it and gave him the hundred dollar bill and he said what is this and i said it's your deposit and he said, for what? And I said, you're going to come to England to play at my club. And I said, if you, if you, you can either have the $100 bill or you can like call the number on there and you can, there's a few more where that came from. And, uh, and I think you're fantastic. And that's the way we, I went around, you know, like I got Frankie Knuckles to do this, the same way and um, Little Lou Vega, um, all those guys, you know, like, you know, 
they just thought I was some kind of, I mean, I don't know what they thought of me. They tell you, you know, like, but, but we got on so well. But the crazy just, English guy running around throwing money at everybody. We were like, yeah. what, who is this guy? Yeah, it was. Who was the guy? We were having so much fun, but then when we brought everyone over to England, like you know, because the, the guys over there were you weren't getting paid that much money really, and then but in England you were superstars. That's you right. Know, and like, so I remember David Morales going into a record store one day. We walked in and everybody's looking, and he, all his records are there. He's going, "Oh my God, they're my records!" I'm going, "Yeah, you know, I mean, it's going wow." But people know me, and I'm like. People know you, mate. You know, what I mean, it was like unbelievable. You know, it's like, and it was such, it was such a lovely experience to, to, to be able to, to give them that opportunity over me. I mean, there was some DJs. Um, it got too much for them. They got too big for their booth, but some didn't, and some were just like the real deals that you know they knew, and they never forgot, and always like have always been there for us. So, and so, but we forged some friendships that will be there for ever and ever and ever. You know, and God rest Frankie, and you know, and uh, and people like Scott Hardkiss who's no longer here, and and there's a lot of people gone now, isn't there? A I, mean, I, mean, I mean, and Cindy Arter, because we were making records with a lot of the guys, like, you know, on Trent, Eddie Flashing Folks, um, who else? Um, uh, Shay Damier. Um, we were putting all that Josh Wink. We were putting all their records out as well on Back to Basics. So oh, that, yeah, um, you've been a record label. That's right. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about this. So the, the club night, becomes with Mix Mag a iconic night because yeah. every DJ was traveling into the UK wanted to play this club. I remember. I mean, for for a little while in the Alcyon years, the first couple of years, it was almost like the Studio 54 of uh, England. It was like Burgine. It was like the destination place, you know, so people were traveling all over the world to, to come to see us for like about two years. And it was just, uh, we were turning away thousands. It was just crazy. We just like, couldn't even believe the, the, the hype that went on. But, but it, you know, it was like, it, it was just absolute pandemonium. And, um, but yeah, great. The, the city didn't know what had happened. You know, it was like, we were like, they were just thinking, who are these guys? And what are they up to? They must be up to no good. But we were, <laughs> yeah. well, we, we, we were having fun, but, you know. So, like, but, you know, but these days it's different because then they realise that, the amount of economy and the ec the economics and the uh, and also you know the culturally what we brought to the city and bringing like people from all over the world you know some of the biggest artists in the world well, there. Let's let's do this for a second. Let me let me play let me play because I want to show this. Carl Cox, okay. Yep. Um, let's see if I can find it now. Sorry, everybody. We're trying to make this work. I got hit with a thousand. I got hit. I got hit with that. Yeah, I got it. I just got to play it. Here we go. Pure madness. No compromise. Music lovers. Troy Nine's house music. Friendship. Love. In the dance floor, 
you talk a little bit about it while while it's in the background yeah it's kind of a that was a crazy night that was the last night at church in cal bless him um things were going, weren't going too good at the end with my partners and uh, there was a bit of skullduggery going on should i say that always happens in clubland and uh but cal got wind of it and he rang me up and said dave is this right and i said yeah he said why didn't you say anything i said well you know a proud man, he said, mate, you do me enough favours. He said, what about if I come to England early and come and play for you? And I said, well, I can't afford that girl now. You know, he, said, he said, no, I don't want any money. He, he just came and played and saved the day, really. And I'll forever and ever and ever be grateful to that, you know. But a beautiful thing, you know, like when you do good things and sometimes you wonder, you know, what's going on in the world and you're out where everyone falls on bad times, but it's just like really cool. And when the cavalry come in to save you, you know, like that, when, because uh, there's a lot of people out there, you know, especially in Clubland that want to have you over, you know, and uh, and that's what was going down. But my friends got wind of it and uh, saved the day. So, so what exactly, like, you know, when, you mean, when you said save the day, what exactly happened? With that gig, what was well, it? Yeah, I mean, basically, I turned the club round 
I uh, started a new business with um, it there, but then found out it went two million pounds up in equity when I turned the place around and uh, was not, wasn't taking any money from the club, thinking it was we had the company, it was all dividends. And then uh, we found out on the grapevine that it was up for sale. And uh, yeah, without me knowing. So, um, yeah, so it was a, I won't go into too much detail, but, you know, that's what was going down. So, um, but, you know, I was just thought, I'm too long in the tube for this. You know, I can't believe this is actually happening to me at my age. You know, it's like, it was like, it was just crazy because we were opening a music academy for the kids, the council were involved. I mean, it was amazing um, prospect, but, you know, I mean, but even so, sell it, yeah, for two, to make two million profit, but at least cut your partners in, you know. But um, but luckily, um, you know, in the last thing, a few people stepped in and uh, and and they heard on the grapevine. But I, I didn't say, I just said, kept my mouth shut. I didn't want to say anything because I was kind of on paper. It was such a big success. It was one of the top clubs in the country. And uh, but you know, behind the scenes, there was a lot of skullduggery going on, and it's like, but you know, you live to you will live to fight another day or dance another day, and um, you know, life so, goes on. Yeah. So, how do you recover from something like this? What's the recovery? Because everything's in place, the machine's running. What do you do? What I mean, do? just we just you just push yourself down, and you wait for the bell, and you come back out the corner again. Put your gum shield back in, and come back out. You know. I mean, it's like I've done it so many times now, you know, like sometimes it's been me who's just said, right, I'm leaving and walked away after petty arguments, impulsive behaviour, you know, like at the end of the night, you know, where's my money? You know what I mean? Like, well, if you don't give me it, I'm leaving. No, you won't leave. Right, see about that and left. And uh, we've opened like so many clubs around the city, but it's kept things alive, you know, like everybody that goes to corporate, I believe that this blueprint of all these big warehouse parties now, they're just, there's no soul in them, you know, and it's like, it's just kind of ruining the scene to an extent that, you know, it's just like a big cattle market, 10,000 people into an old hangar and they're just like charging stupid money, you know, it's like, and, like, and a lot of them go by the wayside, as you know, a lot of these super clubs are not there anymore. Where he's like back to basics, oh, he's just celebrated 30 years, you know. We, let's talk about who's left. You had Cream around you, yeah. Ministry of Sound yeah. around you, Gay Crusher, all, all of them, Fantasia. I mean, I mean, just so many, the list goes on and on and on, you know. Um, uh, you know, there's so many, like, but you know, the thing is, we never we were super, we didn't want to be a super club, I didn't want to sell baseball caps and t-shirts you couldn't get into my club like that you know so why would we sell them you know it was like so we never went down to merchandise we did a, we only did limited mix albums we did a couple one with Derek Carter which broke him in England um, Weber, Andrew Weberall and Ralph and then I waited another 10 years and then Tenaglia did the 10th anniversary one which it made, meant, made sense because half of his name he's got 10 in his name so so right Okay, so he, he did that, and then and people used to say, like, come on, we're, we're offering me stupid money, stupid sponsorship money and stupid record deals, but we'd just be saying, no, we're not interested. Because um, we had a car accident, uh, me and my partner, on the way to a gig in Scotland, and uh, Ali died, sadly, and so did Ralph's 
um, girlfriend. Um, I was a passenger in the seat in the in the car as well. Um, it wasn't a drunken or um, any. It wasn't no, no fault of any alleys, but there was bad weather going on the way up, and we crashed. So we just never wanted to change the ethos of the club. It was in. It was like we were never going to take any. It was not. It wasn't a brand. It was like it was our baby, you know. So like where everyone else saw their clubs as brands and you know marketable and and saleable, you know, I've never, it's never been for sale. You know, people. We, I've turned down some stupid things really when I think about it. Sure. But you know, some things are money's money's one thing. You know, like but. Integrity and uh, being the real deal is, is means much more, you know. And I think people resonate with that. And that's the thing. You kept it you kept it going regardless of everyone trying to take you down. And that's the horrible thing about yeah. Clubland. The different <laughs> Yeah, I mean everybody when you're at that moment that you're you're not trying to be at the top, you're just doing what you normally do. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, proper do right, just do it right, and then all of a sudden now you're the target that everybody wants to come after to destroy. Think about yeah. that. It's, uh, it's always been uh, well. I'm oh, sorry, like you know, like like uh, you know. I, I mean, the American in, in America, it's a lot more. You guys, you know, like uh, if you see somebody in a nice car, you'll go, "Yeah, way to go, guy!" You know, like nice car. But in England, you build you up and you go, wanker, you know what I mean? It's just like, you get such such a crazy kind of mentality. People build you up and they want to knock you back down. Or, and there's a lot of, je- oh, a lot of jealousy. Mm, sorry about it. There's a lot of jealousy. And uh, and it's like, but, you know, I, I didn't care. I just kind of plod on. And, and I, the, the thing for me is like... Um, you know, I, I like to think that I can go, when I go to bed on and I put my head on my pillow, I can go to sleep, you know, because I know there's nobody out there that's saying a bad word, you know, because I've never given anybody any reason, you know, so I never retaliate, just just get on with it and just do the do. And we like to party, it's like, you know, it's what we do, you know, and I think we do it well. Please search for part two of this podcast on the platform you're watching or listening to. And please do not forget to follow us.